Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's the podcast where we discuss what we've been watching with the intention that either myself or my co-host here, Chris Yates... Hi. Uh, that one of us may convince the other one to watch said things or just, you know, raise awareness of it for you at home listening in your earpods. It does happen. I've watched a few things that you've recommended for me over the last few weeks on here. Yeah. Mm. And likewise, I've considered watching things that you suggested. <laughs> I've watched them and hated them, but I've still watched <laughs> some of the things you've suggested. Now, Chris Yates... Quite frankly, I don't want to dilly-dally. No, me neither. Let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what have you been watching? I've been watching uh, the second season of My Next Guest Is with David Letterman. Can I tell you, I have a real affection and familiarity with this theatre. Oh, is that right? I do, because every year my kids participate in a three-hour tap recital <laughs> in this theatre. Wow, three hours. <laughs> yeah, and it's really good. And but I, uh, I always end up volunteering to be the backstage mom because mm-hmm. I figure like a lot of things I'm working, I can't do it, and I'm in showbiz. So I say I'll be the backstage mom, and I spend four hours all told in the basement of this building in a room, a windowless concrete room with like 25 to 30 kindergartners wearing tap shoes. <laughs> And tutus, and my job is like to get to keep them alive first uh-huh. and foremost, yeah. <laughs> get them up to the stage, uh, keep them alive after their number, uh-huh. and I give them my strategy. I give them as much candy as they want. So let me think here. Now we're talking about Penelope and Alice. Yes. Yes. It's interesting. I don't. I don't uh, know anything about uh, having daughters. But uh, the fact that they're doing the same thing, is that common in families? I mean, they're six years apart, so there's so few things that they will really do together. They'll eat next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I, this year I got, I got them uh, uh, one of those, or I should say, Santa Claus got them one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that's a huge fuck-up. Um, how good is David Letterman? We don't have to talk about how great Le- David Letterman is, but the reason I wanted to talk about this particular show is not really to talk about the episodes so much, but more just to generally talk about how great is David Letterman. I have an issue with David Letterman at the moment. What? Okay, so, look, I've grown up watching David Letterman for all of my life. You know, big fan of David Letterman. I'm a big fan of what he's doing on a Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kanye episode, which I have not seen, but has mm-hmm. been universally reviled by everyone who well, has seen it. Well, this is where it. I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, that's fine. I'll, I'll get around to this batch of episodes because I really do love Dave. But I do think that he needs to do something with his beard. Like, I... <laughs> the thing is, there's various different periods of Dave. And, like, I think Beard Dave is a active and vital part of, like, the history of Dave. But I feel that the times right now where he's been off TV, off, like, broadcast TV, which is his whole reason why he grew his beard. And he's been off for an hour for four years I guess, yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, something like that, four to five years. Like, I think the time's right for him to, like, just shave that beard down and something just a bit more manageable and come up with just that next era of Dave. This is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard from you, Dan, <laughs> so I'm going to pretend it didn't even happen. I got strong feelings. Um, anyway, I, I'm really enjoying this era of Dave's life because he's sort of doing a lot of self-reflection. He's using the show as an opportunity to obviously talk to some really interesting people, get very high-profile guests on the show, but also to just meet some of the people that he obviously wants to have chats with. So the first two episodes I've seen of the new season are um, Zach Galifranakis and, um, am I saying his name right? Yeah, I Galifranakis. Yeah. 
yeah, Galifianakis. I think I put an R in there. Um, and Kanye West. And um, you've known me for a long time, Dan. You know my love of Kanye is strong, but it has also wavered over the years <laughs> and um, come back and forward. And I feel like I've paid close enough attention to that guy to kind of, you know, take everything uh, he says and does with a grain of salt, so to speak, um, including, of course, his recent Trump yay, um, you know... Just horrible period of um, trying to become a trying to trying to get his head around politics and really not doing a very good job of it. Uh, it's all quite embarrassing for him. But the really interesting thing, and um, I'm interested. I haven't read anything about it, so I had no idea going into it. Kind of like whether it was going to be a terrible. But out of all of the episodes uh, so far that have all played so naturally, so smoothly, um, even the ones where you know, you know that you know that it's not exactly off the cuff when he's sitting there with Obama, and you know they've worked stuff out, and you know they've done stuff. Oh yeah, but it still played out so naturally. This episode with Kanye, I don't even know how they kept it in the season. It's so out of character with the, all the rest of the the episodes. The editing is just. Is strange. Um, things are obviously cut off midway through. There's intercuts to the crowd, which are obviously trying to cut, you know, cover cuts in audio and stuff that just don't make any sense. It's bizarre, even by Kanye standards. So one of the problems I have with this show is that when I sit down and watch it, there's the large bulk of the episode, which is him on stage in front of a crowd of, it seems to be largely students. As yeah, well as, I think they're at universities mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I think that's kind of fine, but the bits that I actually really engage with on a show is him doing remote pieces around the place. Yes, which are great, and don't and there's not enough of them in there, I don't think. Yeah, like I'd actually be more excited by the show if instead of him doing this sit-down interview with people, it was just maybe a half-hour program, and it's literally just him out there in the environment that the person lives or oh, look, that'd be know, fantastic some sort of historical aspects of them and just like actually explore like their family homes or like where they're living now and just do that kind of thing look I absolutely agree and I think that that would be really give it a bit more um, you know that would actually make it a bit of a different show compared to what it was and it would also hark back to some of that really early like you know when you get when you fall down a David Letterman uh, hole on YouTube and but, all the tape pieces yeah all those yeah. amazing tape pieces especially like back when he did his daytime show and like you know going right back he did a lot of that sort of locational stuff and it was really, really funny and very good. And I'm sure for Dave, part of it's a comfort issue. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. For years, he'd stopped doing his hate pieces, and that was largely because his security was uh, like at hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they couldn't do this hate pieces without him being mobbed, or like he also had some stalkers around, which yeah. uh, caused some pretty dicey situations. So he couldn't do those hate pieces, and I think he just fell into just being a broadcaster, just stuck in a studio and. Just that was his that? safe space, so yeah. to speak. Oh, yeah, well, not even safe to speak. Like, like it actually literally, was his safe space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's been really uh, that's a really good point, and I would really I would love to see that, and um, definitely would prefer to see that even. But yeah. having like, my two so, favorite ones have. from the first season, like there was one where he went to George Clooney's family home. Yeah, yeah, that and hung really out with cool. his parents for a bit. And I found that really interesting. And I don't think Clooney was even present like for that. It was really just him talking to Clooney's parents. I only remember him talking to the parents. So maybe yeah. Clooney was in the background making an Nescafe or something. But he wasn't <laughs> there at the... He wasn't in the, in the prime of the shot, no. Absolutely. And also when he visited Malala's uh, campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was... Yeah, that was excellent. Like, it's great seeing him out there and about. Yeah. And, like, when he was on the campus, that was kind of fun because he was talking to her about, you know, just living life and her various sort of passions and whatnot. But also, she had lots of student friends that were around. And I remember there just being a lot of verbal repartee where Dave was just saying weird things to try to get a reaction out of them. And it was just fun seeing him actually engage, like, everyday real people. Yeah, and, yeah. He's yeah. very good at it. Very, very good at it. Um, so, the, yeah, the Kanye one is just... I couldn't even get to the end of it. Uh, an absolute write-off. So, I haven't gone back to the other episode. So, I don't even know who's on it yet. But 
I will definitely watch the other ones. There's no way I'm going to get through that. That though, it's just it's so weird. It must have been. I don't. I don't know whether they must have whether they could have been contractually obligated to um, broadcast it or what the deal was. But a train wreck. Not worth it. Yeah, I suspect with those sort of things, it's a bit hard where you've got a live studio audience and. There'll be people of whom, when the Kanye episode doesn't appear, will be saying, oh, we went to one with Kanye. Word will get out. And yeah, yeah. have to explain so. why it is that they didn't have a Kanye episode. No. So maybe just make the best of what you've got. Oof. They did not. But anyway, yes. So that's it. Um, Dave Letterman, uh, my next guest, is on Netflix. Dan, what have you been watching? Uh, I've been watching a new show produced for Showtime in the US and seen here on Stan called The Loudest Voice. I just got a call from the day made a comment on the story about me being fired. Calm down. Just tell me what the reporter said. Just that I'm about to be laid off. What am I supposed to tell my wife? She's going to kill me. Fuck. I can't get fired. Now I need this job. Look, sometimes reporters get bad information. So I'm not being fired? Not yet. But, um, leak again? And you will be. Ryan, I didn't leak. I would never. You didn't leak. You didn't go down Langens and get drunk. You didn't tell that secretary in corporate you're trying to bang about a Riley Stahl contract. You didn't do that. She works with us. She works for News Corp, not Fox. Just because Murdoch signs all the paychecks doesn't mean we jerk each other off in the shower. Anyone outside Fox is the enemy, and we do not talk about what we do. Now, Chris, the loudest voice, I'm assuming you're not across this one. Uh, is it the life story of Gilbert Gottfried? Tragically not. <laughs> it's loudest voice, not most irritating voice. <laughs> yeah, 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 joke, of yeah. course. Uh, this is Roger Ailes. It's a seven-part series with Russell Crowe starring as the aforementioned Roger Ailes. I'm listening. Uh, do you know who Roger Ailes is? Nope. Okay, so he is a dude where he got his start as a TV producer on the Mike Douglas show in the oh, wow. 60s, early 70s. I'm trying to work out the time frame for that show. But anyway, he was working as a producer on that and then eventually got uh, involved in the Nixon White House and mm-hmm. uh, was a bit of an advisor there. He's been a long, oil, uh, long loyal ally with the Republicans mm-hmm. for a lot of that time as an advisor in various capacities. Uh, he was involved in TV news for a while and got hired by Rupert Murdoch to launch a service called Fox News yes. in the late 90s. So this show starts in the first episode with Rupert looking to launch Fox News and Roger Ailes, who's at a bit of a career crossroads. Uh, he ends up jumping on board and you see through seven episodes, uh, seven key moments through American history from the formation of Fox News through to now. And it's very much about how Fox News played a role and how Roger Ailes and his very large personality played a role within that. Wow. So the first episode, Formation of Fox News, episode two, which aired last week, and just quietly we record these podcasts two in a row, so I haven't seen the third episode yet. (laughs) Uh, But the second episode deals with September 11, and so the episode starts on the morning of that, and you see essentially Fox News shaping their coverage through Roger's viewpoint as to how the day was unraveling sure um so it's and that's probably the first half of the episode the rest of it is kind of the aftermath where fox news suddenly got involved in the narrative that formed around the um, war against iraq and Mm. the sort of messaging and ideology behind that and where roger played a role in it and where the white house were trying to shut him out of things and him trying to find his way back in 
So was Fox News the same? Uh, I know it was the first twenty-four hour news channel. It kind of invented that twenty-four hour news. Or Fox is that News, not true? no, 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 not CNN true at all. did all that. CNN did that. Yes, so CNN right. formed in the early eighties. Right. The cable. T- so CNN was kind of around there from the earliest sort of era of cable TV. Sure. So cable was around for maybe four or five years in a very sort of niche form. Yep. CNN came along, and I even want to say it was like nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, and for ten or eleven years, it didn't really have that much of a major role in. In you know, public discourse and sure. consumption of news, but from 1991 when the Gulf War happened, that's when CNN suddenly became like a major player. So 24 hours, 24 hours news when the Gulf War started was when people were like, oh wait, there's actually a reason to have a 24 hour right, news service. Sure. And then when the O.J. Simpson trial yes, started happening, course. that's when the entertainment side of things started coming into play with 24-hour news. Yeah. And that made a... That it's not just when there's a major you know, issue Tragedy. of like world consequence taking yep. place, but rather it's actually a vital part of American culture and discourse. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, probably from... What was O.J.? Like 93, 94? Sounds right. Yeah. No, a bit earlier than that, I think. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. That so, right. roughly from then, that's kind of where you know 24-hour news really started playing a role. And Fair enough. By the time CNN launched, uh, by the time Fox News launched, there was also MSNBC launching roughly at about the same time, yep. which was a co-venture between MSN, uh, Microsoft, and NBC. Yeah. And um, was it always as rampantly right-wing as it is today? Well, this is the thing. So, as you start seeing in the first episode, and look, I'm someone who actually watches a bit of uh, Fox News. So, when I'm watching it, I'm always interested to see the way that they construct messaging around, you know, what's actually happening, what news they're not reporting, what news they are reporting, and the general conversation that they're having with their audience. Because when you hear about Fox News, like, you're probably thinking of, like, Hannity. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm just thinking of the outrage stuff. Yeah. Uh, and like it's all outraged stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like it's actually quite different in terms of when you're watching it. So I find the most interesting aspects of Fox News are the hours where no one's really actively paying a lot of attention to it. Yeah. Because you see a lot of up and coming presenters of whom are really towing the line to what Fox News is supposed to be messaging about. Right. But then at the same time, like they're also working in the context of being part of a newsroom. So it's a little bit newsy, but also with a bit of messaging happening in there. And <laughs> yeah. you also start seeing a lot more lifestyle stories mixed in amongst that. Yeah, sure. So you Start seeing the way that Fox News presents itself as being all American. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, with a very specific slant as what it means to be an American. Yes, yes. So it's a lot of the jingoistic sort of flag waving stuff, a lot of the. Uh, you know, when you think about, like, say, Triple M music? Yes. And, like, there's all the music from, you know, it's the hit music from 1993. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like, that's kind of the music that plays in interstitials on Fox News, and it's sort of structured around that kind of thing. And I'll do little lifestyle stories about, hey, there's this exciting new thing that's happening in, uh, like, Las Vegas restaurants that are called sushi trains. Right, yeah, yeah, So yeah, they sure. kind of start playing around with culture, which, you know, the hit people have kind of been across for quite a while. But, you know, the 67-year-olds are only just kind of just stumbling across them and it really plans that quite nicely yeah right so they really construct an idea of what it means to be American based through the prism of 25, 30 years ago yeah yeah, yeah but <laughs> presents it as contemporary and today yes yeah. but so anyway like having seen like a fair bit of Fox News and I've made a because I watch a fair bit of MSNBC as well and I feel that as a media consumer I need to balance out the thing that talks to me so I kind of you know sure, try sure. to find the right angle on it um, so, having watched a bit of Fox News and seeing the way that Roger Ailes sets up this channel, like, it suddenly just makes a whole lot of sense. Like, the... Not necessarily your Hannity's. Like, they, they actually show, like, the hiring of Hannity and how that sort of plays a role. And you can sort of see the two sides of Roger Ailes. So, the off-hours stuff that I find most interesting is actually what Roger Ailes is kind of all about. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But then the Hannity stuff is the stuff that, you know, he knows it's going to get the attention and your eyeballs. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Um, our but Russell, yeah. how so, does he go? How does he do? So, Russell was under several layers of fat suit. Right. Okay, like Russell, you know, he's definitely, you know, put it on a little bit over the last few years, but he's not at like Roger Ailes' level of corpulence. Sure. <laughs> he's really good. So, the acting in it, I think, is just incredible. Uh, the problem is he's got this fat suit that he's acting through. And so, like, I feel that a lot of his performance is being lost a little bit, but yeah. so much of it is, like, his eyes and just, like, his sort of cheeks that actually aren't really covered so much by the fat suit. And sure. Yeah, it's an incredible performance by him. Seth MacFarlane's in there as one of the PR guys that works at Fox News. Um, he's quite good in it. He's not asked to do a whole lot. But, is he funny? Uh, not really. I mean, it's not a funny miniseries, by yeah, any right. means. Uh, you've got that. You've got Sienna Miller, who plays Roger Ailes' wife. Uh, Naomi Watts comes into it later in. Uh, but essentially, all these supporting Our actors, Sorry, Australia's yeah. own Naomi Watts, uh, Josh Charles apparently comes into it a little <laughs> bit. Uh, so you've got all these characters, like character actors and people that you are familiar with playing roles in there. Uh, the absolute standout performance, though, and I only realized this, I was like loading up the IMDb to check out some mm. of the cast names in case I'd forgotten some. The guy playing Rupert Murdoch. Okay, like he plays a really good Rupert Murdoch. And I only just realized who he is. It's this actor. He's this British actor named Simon McBurney. And I guarantee if you see his face, you'll be like, oh, I kind of know him from this. Uh, he was in Mission Impossible Fallout, I want to say. <laughs> He's in one of the Mission Impossibles right, recently. I know. Um, I know him best from the TV show Rev, where he ends up playing like the Arch... Absolutely Archdeacon. know this guy. Yeah, Archdeacon. Yeah. yeah, so you've seen his face? Absolutely. Yeah, because he's been in almost yeah. every British thing ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I didn't realize it was him because his posture and just, just general demeanor in this is wildly different than anything I've seen him do. But a lot of people are bringing, I think, career-best performances. Our ratings on the series haven't been particularly stellar, but I think that as the next few episodes unravel, like it's going to be a show that builds and starts driving a bit of attention because it's a quality product. But like a lot of things that play heavily with you know exploring the media, it doesn't actually really get that mainstream yeah, yeah. in the same way that you'd kind of assume. But if you're like me that loves this kind of thing, like you know, you'll be a pig in it. Interestingly, Simon McBurney played opposite Russell Crowe in Robin Hood. He did too. There you go. Uh, excellent. All right. And where is that? Uh, that so, so that must be on regular television, is so it? So you'll find that on Stan in Australia, but Showtime in the US. Yeah, yeah, right. That's interesting. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so two episodes, well, three episodes by the time of this being published. Cool. Yeah. We'll check uh, it out. Mm. Uh, Chris, uh, you've been watching other stuff, I presume. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have. Um, yes, uh, Dan, I don't even know where to go with this. You're gonna, you're gonna laugh. You're gonna cry. You're gonna say, "What are you doing with your life?" You're gonna be surprised and not surprised at all. I've been watching The Simpsons season thirty. Oh God, thirty. Miss Simpson, you're a very lucky lady. Oh, sweetie, thank God, thank God. Mm, 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 mm. Your daughter's fine, but I recommend a five-day stay. Of course, of course. We'll take out a third mortgage. Sir, you're in Canada now, where your health care is free! Free health care. Why can't America do that? She's delirious, Doc. America can't pay for health care and give corporations the tax breaks they so desperately need. I'm not delirious. In fact, I've never felt more protected. Not like back home. Oh, hang on. Did you just say you don't feel safe in your home country? Why should she feel safe? In America, the great Alberto roams the streets. So let me get this straight. You're afraid of America. Is that right, young lady? Well, there's voter suppression. Shh. And utter disregard for the environment. Shh. A president who's such a son of a... Shh. Oh, save that language for the lower 48. No, I'm telling you, our president really is... 
is a god. Shush! We know. Hmm. Lisa, as you're clearly a victim of political persecution who fears for her life, I must keep you in Canada where you'll be safe and assigned your own hockey team. Please not Ottawa. Please not Ottawa. Yeah, I'm I'm so sorry. Okay, Chris, 30 seasons in. What do you even have to talk about with The Simpsons at this well, point? Well, I wanted to come in. I wanted to say... Um, Sorry, what is this show? I've not heard of this. <laughs> what is it called? The Simpsons? It, it's so funny. Like, you know, I've been a long defender of The Simpsons. I, well, I, I didn't really lose interest. The, uh, the much a, a poo about nothing um, scenario... The um, documentary. The documentary, which wasn't called that. That was the name of an episode. It was called The Problem with Apu or The Problem with The Simpsons or something like that. It was called The yeah the Problem with Apu? I think so. Um, I've watched it a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Uh, look, that that conversation was very loud. It's hard to to know how to feel about it. I didn't uh, get on board and go like, yeah, The Simpsons is totally sh- terrible for the way they've portrayed. I totally understand the point of view of the stand-up comedy and uh, comedian and anybody who's had a similar uh, Harry experience. Harry Con- And yes, it was all valid criticisms. And there's many, many, many more criticisms that could be made about the show over the years. And I'm certainly not defending anything, everything that it's ever done, but I have always found it incredibly enjoyable. I found it a lovely, consistent thing in my ever-changing life of sadness um, that at least uh, for half of the year I could sit down and watch a new episode of The Simpsons. I found it very, very comforting. Um, <laughs> Among other among other things, uh, somewhere around there, I just kind of I've been paying a lot of attention to the uh, notorious showrunner Al Jean and his. Uh, it was really his comments about it. It was really his getting his face in the media and just being completely annoying. That sort of um, just really uh, ground my gears, uh, so to speak, and grinded your gears about the poo. No, just about just 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 about the Simpsons altogether. Really. Okay, just just for that, you know, for for a brief period there. So somewhere around and that was, I think, season twenty nine, where all that happened, right? And and other th- other things in life got in the way, and I just didn't chase down the Simpsons as, as I had done um, quite so voraciously for the twenty eight years prior. For the twenty eight years prior, literally every week. Like I don't, I don't think I, you know, there probably was not a week where it would have been longer than a week that I didn't watch it, and usually it was within hours of it airing for the entire time. So yes, I'm back into it. It's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got two friends of whom tell me all the time that The Simpsons actually gotten good again. I should actually check it out. One of those is you. Yeah. Uh, the other one, my friend Dennis. Uh, and the two of you are just constantly always going on. So every like four to five months, I'll watch an episode and I'm never impressed. <laughs> Look, I think, you know, there's so many different. I, I can't, I'm not going to get into all the arguments of why some of the episodes are still good and why some of them aren't and why, you know, how the hit rate's not as good. And I'm not going to talk about the many reasons why the first eight seasons are special and rah, rah, rah. But there was definitely a great turnaround somewhere around season 25 where they really started uh, reveling in the nostalgia of the show again and they really started to look to dig out old characters that they hadn't looked at before. And what did what some about doing that? Could they dig around for some jokes? Could <laughs> yeah, they give they that were. a go? Now, here's the thing. Part of me listening to this is like, Chris, why are you talking about The Simpsons? Like, of all things, like, surely we don't need to. But it comes at the same time that we're hearing about the closure of Mad Magazine. Well, exactly. so So, I've been thinking about The Simpsons a lot in the framework of thinking about Mad Magazine. No, exactly. And when I heard that Mad Magazine were being shut down. So, Mad Magazine, about, I want to say, like a year ago, they announced that they were shutting down what was Mad Magazine. They're going to reboot it with a lot more contemporary satire. They were gearing it not so much at the 12-year-old kid, but rather at like your sort of college level and up humor satire. So I bought a copy of it. It cost me like about 12 bucks from the newsagent. (laughs) It's ridiculously expensive. It might have been a comic shop I bought it from. Yeah. Actually, it was like King's Comics. I'm sure I picked it up. 
purchased that and it was just terrible. Like, it, the humor wasn't any better than it had been right. from what I recalled it being. When you like, were 12. When I was 12. But, like, it just wasn't really quite there. And to me, I'm really glad The Simpsons is still around because part of the promise that The Simpsons delivered to me back in, like, 1993 was that as long as the show is still profitable, they'll keep making it. Yes, that's right. Okay. So, so to me, it's inbuilt into The Simpsons that they still make it. And it doesn't matter how bad the show gets. But as long as it's still profitable, it needs to keep on being made because that is the heart and soul of The Simpsons. And if anything, that is actually what the show has been railing against from the beginning, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is crass just commercialism for crass commercialism's sake. And it's powering, uh, you know, it's helped to power the Fox News um, juggernaut <laughs> that has, um, you know, told uncul- caused uncul- uncounted terrors on our uh, modern way of life in our society. But the, uh, yes. And also gotten a lot of dogs neutered. Yeah, that's right. So really, um, the main reason I want to mention it is because I think that it's, um, you know, surely we're getting close to the... Surely we're getting close to this um, non-profitable period of The Simpsons. and Well, I'm not actually sure that we are. So the business model that The Simpsons works on is actually been in question a little bit with the purchase of Disney because yes. essentially they keep on making the show... Like, it's still profitable because of the way that they're able to sell it around so, yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, part of it, though, there's like exclusivity that they're paying for it in some markets. Right. Okay, but that's now at threat because of the whole Disney Plus... Thing that, that every episode of The Simpsons ever will be available on Disney Plus when it launches. Right. Okay. So, like, that's there's been some sweetheart deals made and stuff in order to facilitate that. So, maybe there is like a time coming where The Simpsons will stop being made. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's going to be such a vital part of Disney Plus for like the next five to 10 years that wow. I, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. But what I wonder is when I heard that Mad Magazine was being shut down, okay, my first yeah. instinct was to point out that because. What happens is that people start getting nostalgic for this and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's such a shame about, you know, the comedy of it. And it's like, well, sure, but you haven't been purchasing this now for like 30, 40 years. Okay. Like what value is it to keep on publishing something that has no relevance in your life anymore other than those three issues you purchased as a 10 year old? Yeah. Okay. And I think about this in the framework of The Simpsons, which is that when The Simpsons gets cancelled, there is going to be so many articles and tweets from people mourning the loss of The Simpsons. <laughs> and it's like, well, when did you last watch an episode? Yeah, If yeah, you were yeah. still watching it, this thing would still be being made. Which it is. Yeah, which it is at the moment. But, like, yeah. broadly, the viewership has dropped off from The Simpsons. Sure. Uh, I often have morbidly wondered whether it would survive um, the loss of one of its main five voices, which miraculously hasn't happened, considering all things. And It I, is impressive that no one's died yet. And I don't think... I'm not sure it could. You really think so? Because surely there are so many people out there with like comedic voices of whom have also done finely tuned... So you think they would replace Bart Simpson's voice if... I think Nancy, they would. Wow, really? Mm, that's interesting. Like they're um, not going to shut down production on the day that, you know... Aren't they? I don't think they will. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, no. Hopefully we won't see. <laughs> hopefully that won't happen. And this won't be like, like that time when I said, wow, I can't believe Michael Jackson's still alive. And then the next day, he wasn't. <laughs> um, so let's leave it at that. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it's, it's just... It's fascinating to me that it's back. It didn't, you know... And it's still going, and it's um, it wasn't as bad as I expected the first episode to be. It was pretty good, had some funny laughs in it, um, was a good little, you know, had some nice Homer and Bart, you know, you know that nice, the, 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 I love the Homer Bart episodes where they gang up against um, the world or the family, or, or the world gangs up against them. Yeah, so it had what it had a bit of that. It had a, it had an okay feel to it. Definitely not the um, heights of season twenty three to twenty five. 
Um, definitely better than seasons <laughs> 17 to whatever. Um, anyway, so you've stopped listening quite some time ago, I, Dan. So, so I, was doing I, should, some research. Uh, <laughs> I should just throw to you because I can assume that other people have as well. Uh, <laughs> and I think we've still got one more show to go. Dan. Okay. Can we? Yes. Yep, what have you been one watching? One more. Doing this super quickly. Uh, there's a film that came out called Parasite. Now, Chris, Parasite, I'm going to assume that you're not across this. It's a, <laughs> it's a film from South Korea. Right, yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, you so, lost me at film. <laughs> this is from a director named Jun Ho Bong. Uh, he has made such excellent films as Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm. You've seen Snowpiercer? No. I'm aware of Snowpiercer, yeah. though. I do Really know cool you film. Yeah, yeah. You need to check it out. Uh, the Host is another film of his. Plays around with like heavy sci-fi conceits and has a bit of a moralistic um, thing about society sort of embedded within the stories. Cool. Interesting filmmaker. I knew nothing about Parasite. Like I'd seen the, like, the poster. I'd seen people tweeting about how amazing Parasite was. I knew nothing about it. Went into the cinema, completely cold, and that is the best way to watch Parasite. The problem is that me saying, go and see Parasite, <laughs> don't know anything about it. Doesn't make for a great that, podcast. It's not going to get people across the floor to say, you know what, I'm going to go and check out this movie. Okay. okay. Tell, us, tell us a little so bit then. Can you do this without... Um... So here's the thing. I went into it going, Parasite, I know what this guy's all about. There's going to be some sort of parasite involved. There's a parasite for sure. It'll be a bit scary. And there is a parasite, but it's a metaphorical parasite. Oh it's not an actual God. parasite. You're this blowing is, my mind. This is not a monster movie, but in a way it also is. So this is about a family of whom are largely unemployed. They don't have much finance coming in. Like, they can't really pay for their mobile phone bills. They're living in the basement of, uh, like, a house. Like, things aren't going well for them. The son who's of college age, uh, he's dropped out of the first year, but he's got a friend who's still going to college. Uh, His friend comes up saying, hey, look, I'm going overseas uh, there's this family. I've been tutoring the girl in the family. I'm a bit sweet on her. I don't necessarily want to give over like this job to just anybody. I want someone who's not going to make a move on. You know, the girl. Would you mind like going and applying for this job? I'll give you a recommendation. So this kid turns up to the door. It's like a really wealthy family. Knocks on the door. Ends up impressing the mother and you know the girl. And so everyone's very impressed with him. And it's like you know what? You're amazing. Uh, as he's leaving, he realizes that the younger son in the family, it's a family of four, very nuclear family sort of thing going on. Uh, the son has like some behavioral issues and he ends up mentioning like this, um, it's like an art therapist, like someone of whom can help connect with the kids through art. Sure. And he's like, oh, I know someone who does this. Like, I don't really know her directly, but like she's a friend of a friend. I've met her once and she seemed really capable. Uh, would you like me to pass on like your details to her and she can get in contact? So the mother's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. He ends up giving the D's house to his sister, okay, part of this equally unemployed family. And so the sister comes in fraudulently claiming that she doesn't have a relationship with this guy at all, uh, but rather comes in to, you know, start tutoring this kid. And then piece by piece, they start trying to find ways they can like milk as much as they can out of this family. So the father very soon ends up joining as like the household chauffeur. They end up getting the mama <laughs> right. job as a maid. So like this family acting as parasites amongst this much wealthier family. But while you've got this really like just impoverished family who are in there like perpetrating complete fraud to be able to be part of this sort of upper society 
you know, financial unit that's, you know, that they're milking from. Uh, essentially, they start seeing some of the institutional problems that exist with, you know, the level of wealth that exists with this family versus their own existence. And things start happening. And I can't really go too much into it. Oh, part of the actual to. joy of the movie is seeing how this unravels. Yeah, sure. But yeah, there's definitely some very interesting relationship dynamics that take place in it and a very strong socioeconomic message at the core of this film. It's incredibly funny. It's dark. It's heartwarming. It's bleak. It's kind of everything you really want a movie to be. And I haven't really been this like just enwrapped with a film wow. like for a long time. It's amazing. Uh, it's probably a bit hard to see now that it's been out and released for about two or three weeks. So there's yep. probably not a lot of sessions around. But I reckon it will still be hanging around like your dendies and palaces maybe for another month or two. So wow, cool. Make an effort. Like do it sort of as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. It's worth people's time. It sounds good. I, I just yeah. I, I love the poster. I just googled it. it looks yep. fantastic. That's a cool looking poster. Yeah, and not exact. Not anything what I imagined it would be. Um, but yeah. about so that's really an interesting way to look at the um, the uh, differences in you know absolutely we- wealth of society. And the thing is, like you know what we've all seen a lot of movies and TV shows. Like I haven't seen this story before. That's okay? very rare, and that was kind of cool. And also. I was talking about The Loudest Voice a short while ago. And there's episode two, which looks at September 11. The take that that episode has on September 11, I thought I'd seen all the stories about September 11 at this at this point. But The Loudest Room actually approaches it from a direction I hadn't seen before. Wow. I started feeling a bit bad for Rupert Murdoch, of whom is suddenly <laughs> finding himself not actually able to go home that night because, mm. you know, he has to like sleep in Roger Ailes' couch. Oh, yeah. Poor Rupert. It's actually a spare room they make up for him. But, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just kind of, you know, there's aspects to people's lives and stories that... I feel that there's just interesting ways in that both the things I've talked about today actually do that, which is nice. Very much so. Yeah. And then there's The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Do you find The Simpsons ever does anything new where it's like that's actually a new take on a Simpsons story? Or do you feel that it's kind of just working around the margins as to what a Simpsons story can be? I feel like the worst episodes are where they try to do something new and um, it, it really doesn't work very well. Like okay. Whenever they try to get too creative with the storytelling or... Um, References. That's not true. That's not the worst thing that they do. But I feel like it. Uh, it, it. Yes, it never really goes too well. I think that the shows that work best and are funniest are when they keep as close to the um, uh, original concept as possible, which is obviously hard to do. You know what I find interesting about The Simpsons is that in the early 90s where our access to a lot of overseas entertainment was fairly limited to what we were really getting through mm. just like very broad mainstream entertainment in Australia mm. there'd be a lot of references that would fly past in The Simpsons that we didn't really quite get because yeah, we sure. didn't have the you know context for it in 2019 if I watch a Simpsons episode that's making very current cultural references despite the fact that I have the entire world at my fingertips through the internet I generally won't know a lot of the cultural references because yeah, I just yeah, don't care yeah. about you know a lot of mainstream culture anymore yeah 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 because a lot of us become like a lot more niche focused totally and fractured like so it's yeah. it's just not this well and that's an interesting point but I, I was just thinking that despite the fact that I still don't get these references I find them less funny now than I ever did when I still just didn't get the references well I actually think they make a lot less of them and I think it's because of how much of more fractured it's all happened because like yeah you don't sort of have those same cultural um, touchstones that you used to have where you could make a Soylent Green joke and know that you know <laughs> 90% of the people watching it um, of a certain age will, will know what Soylent Green yeah. is and will it's people it. <laughs> it's people people um, so yeah I don't I don't know whether we I, I think the show definitely has um, suffered uh, from the way that it can't just draw on these um uh, you know, in jokes that we all kind of can take for granted and no. know exist. Okay, so running through the things we've talked about, Parasite, it's in maybe still in cinemas now. 
Uh, the Loudest Voice is on Stan in Australia, Showtime in the US. The Simpsons is available, you know, somewhere, I don't everywhere. Know, yeah. It's on Fox and Foxtel here. Yeah. And I think Channel 7 might have the new episodes in Australia. Do they? I didn't even know if there was any new episodes getting played out here anymore. But anyway. I, I feel that they are. That's seven? Really? Yeah, Seven bought them a couple of years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. This is just... And what was the first thing you talked about? It was... Was it Dave Letterman? Dave Letterman. That's streaming now on Netflix. Yes. Great yeah. show. Uh, Chris Yates, you exist on all the social medias. <sighs> really don't, Dan. I'm sort of so, sort of really over it. Um, how could people contact me? Um, You're in our private chat channel. I am. Yes, that's it. Join the Always Be Watching uh, Curve Facebook Oh, no, I just group. mean like our private chat <laughs> channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But there's a Always Be that. Watching Facebook community. Yes, I'm very much involved there and uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, people can find me on all your various socials at the Dan Barrett this has been Always Be Watching check us out on the web alwaysbewatching.com you can find us on Twitter at AB Watching uh, we're on Facebook with a Facebook group there and just generally like tell your friends about the podcast yes yeah uh, leave reviews helps other people find it Chris Yates I've got things, things to watch me too heaps Much. I'm going to try to watch some non-cartoons for next week I'm, you know, I'm really I'm really going to go out there on a, on a, on a limb who even are you <laughs> see you next week 